What's up, y'all? My name is T. Shaw, and this is Brewing Black Podcast, where the contents we serve you is authentic, vulnerable, and relatable. That means we serve you with no cream and no sugar. I guess I like my coffee black. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is Scholar P, pronouns he, him, his. And it's your boy T. Shaw, pronouns he, him, his. And this is Bruin Black, giving you all the latest in black news and entertainment for our intellectuals, our millennials, and those who like their information like we like our news. How do we like it, T? Black. <laughs> How you feeling, man? Man, it is September. I am not the avatar but i do have an appreciation for earth wind and fire so i just want to cue up something real quick for the people yes that's (laughs) it and and you know what uh I'm, i'm still upset about taylor swift um like trying to remake that song that's It it still hurts my soul to this day. It's evil. Why? For no reason. Just choosing violence. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But but it's 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 good. We're life is moving fast. Mm -hmm. Life is moving fast. Um, I I do have an announcement. Um, I I tested uh, negative for COVID on on Friday. Um, so I'm I'm free. I'm free. I'm back. I'm I'm back in a good good state of health, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, um, so I'm feeling good, man. How, how about you? I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I have no complaints. Um, recently, me and my girl went to uh, Universal, so that hey. was dope. I had never been to Universal Studios, so we took a studio tour. So it was like a little bus ride. It was like an hour long. Uh, they showed us like King Kong. It was like this like 4D like. Uh, like experience bro universal is so like interesting and unique because it provides you an experience it's unlike any other like amusement park or theme park um because though those are like kind of based on like rides universal doesn't have a lot of rides but like they do such an amazing job immersing you in an experience um so yeah i was real grateful for that also i really rock with like harry potter so i got to get a wand bro i was over there casting spells my guy um so yeah i was hype i was hype so shout out to my girl for uh joining me um i had a free ticket to universal so i was just like might as well go like and just experience it um so yeah it, it was definitely like refreshing it was it was a good day Hey, that's I, I yeah, I still need to hit up uh Universal, but yeah, it sounds like an amazing experience. So shout out to them. Um, y'all, uh we're gonna do something today called our our quicks. Um, and that's when we just give you some quick updates about what's going on um in the world. Um, but before we get to that, T, what land are we on? Yeah, so let me do those on land acknowledgements. This is the land of the Gabrielino and the Tongva. This is stolen land. This is colonized land. And we will always, always, always pay those respects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so just real quickly, y'all, you know, we, we want to uh, give our condolences to NeNe Leakes, um, famous uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta uh, star. Um, her husband um, transitioned. 
um, and his battle with uh, cancer ended. Um, and so we want to send a, a shout out um, to her and praise to her uh, on her family during these times, positive thoughts and energy. Um, we also want to do that um, for all our people in Louisiana. Um, I love New Orleans. I did. I was there for Essence Fest. It treated me so well. And though, and there, you got some really awesome people in Louisiana. So Hurricane Ida um, is doing a lot of damage. So any way you can help them, support them, let them know um, that, that you care about them, um, be sure to do that. Uh, and then Finally, I I want to say um, Ty, Tyron Woodley and Jake Paul, that fight, um, I'm still waiting for someone to, to knock Jake Paul out um, for the culture. I, I really uh, am. I, I really am. Um, but, yeah, yeah, T, how, how you feeling about that fight? Yeah, um, real quick, I just want to echo those uh, condolences for Nene Leakes and her family as well mm-hmm. as those uh, that were lost in uh, Hurricane Ida and just the the things in uh, like the homes that people lost. Right. Like, I, I think there's devastation and harm that we can't really put our finger on until we lose it. Um, my girlfriend has a friend out uh, that lived in New Orleans and she had to evacuate to uh, Jackson, Mississippi, um, stay with mm-hmm. a friend. And like her job is pressing her to get back to work. They're like, oh, you cool. You like you physically safe oh cool you got a desktop to hop or you got a laptop to hop on i know your desktop your work computer at home and it might be underwater but when can you come back to work and if not can you use some sick time so i think that like i i think that we really have to extend some compassion and some care um not only as people but as corporations right um so yeah yeah i just want to pass those because i I think there's things that we lose um that could be of sentimental value or just a peace of mind that we aren't always able to like i don't know it's it's like something you take for granted so i definitely wanted uh to echo those condolences that you have but yeah the fight bro i i was able to watch it um you know i was blessed with um the ability to watch it um by ways that did not hurt my pockets and i never would have paid for it um but (laughs) uh it was disappointing just like you said bro like he did not get knocked out and it's like the culture has been begging for it um tyron woodley he i guess he showed up i i think it was it's important for me to know that like I don't watch a lot of UFC, but I understand that Tyrone Woodley was never a striker, really. He's not like right. uh, the UFC middleweight champion right now that, uh, I think his name, Usman or something, like that a stand in the ring, go toe-to-toe and throw blows with you. That's not his thing. He was like more of a grounded pound type dude. So it's like, it's kind of what people have accused Floyd of over the years, right? Picking and choosing your battles to like kind of have a number one. Now, and of course, Floyd has so much more talent, right? Like he's, he's gone up against some, some real competitors, but I think it's the same sentiment that he's picking and choosing people that he thinks that he can beat or that will make it a contest. And it's like, man, pick something that some pick somebody that really box dog, like, or that can really prove to have the ability. Like Tyron Woodley threw significantly less punches. So it's like, he would never, he was never going to win based on just, the amount of punches that he threw it was pretty equal like if you looked at the percentages of punches landed but it's like yeah that's cool but I, he threw 100 uh, 150 more punches than you and he landed so he landed 75 more so it's like it, it he really never had no opportunity to win um uh, people said it was rigged but i watched it i think that bro won maybe a few rounds but in a seven round fight he just didn't throw enough punches and i understand because it's not his game all right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, 
the the marketing strategy of it all is is dyn- is dynamic. Oh, absolutely, um, they get paid. I, yeah, like and and Jay Paul knows that people want to see him fall and get mm-hmm. beat down, and like we're we're gonna tune in because I'm like one of these people <laughs> have to do it. Um, but yeah, there's there's a strategy to the madness, and like I can't even be mad at someone for uh picking a smart route in terms of your opponents um mm-hmm. in boxing that's so where it's so dangerous. It's like you gotta be strategic, and it's not necessarily the best in terms of entertainment. But I, I do think Jake Paul knows that he's he's hated by by plenty. And like he uses that that to his advantage, so where it might not be entertaining because they're of equal stature, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. or of equal skill set, it's entertaining because you want to see see him go down specifically. And so yeah. I I can commend his strategy and still want to see him get get his tail knocked knocked out for the culture. <laughs> um, but but shout out to to both of the men for uh, the the effort. Um, yeah, hustling yeah. and getting that bag, honestly. That's it. That's it, man. That, secure the bag. Um, but w- what we're about to jump into is something called our light roast. <laughs> and basically what that is, is when we critique someone or something in society. And sometimes, you know, we, we try to do it um, in a constructive way. But, you know, so, some of these people don't uh, deserve that always. Um, today, we, we can we can show a little bit of love, but we got to critique what's going on here um, for the sake of those those who are involved. Um, and so this has to deal with Summer Walker and London on the track um, and their public feud uh, regarding their their families td you want to break it down for the people yeah um and i know i don't have all the information but i i know recently over the last few days of uh, summer walker and london on track have been going back and forth about um child disputes about their relationship and it's all been online on the tl and specifically on like instagram stories for everybody to see um it's gotten kind of ugly it's gotten kind of nasty um i know over the the last few years summer walker used to date london on a track and while they were in gate or while they were entangled with each other um allegations came out that uh london on the track was uh, uh a debbie dad um then we fast forward a little bit of time summer walker gets pregnant by london on the track and they uh no longer are together i believe he got with one of the uh other baby mamas um, they re- recanted, retracted those statements and said, no, nah, he's not that bad of a father. But now uh, Summer Walker has came out and said, like, yeah, this man is a Debbie dad. Uh, I don't want nothing to do with him. He, they they were going back and forth. You know how, like, arguments go and how arguments are started and how they finish. Uh, it gets real slanderous. He talks about, oh, yeah, that uh, those those surgeries, those cosmetic surgeries she has gotten on her body, on her breast, and on her butt um that those are on a payment plan and like that she needs to worry about other things um kind of talking about how she uh the the cars that she drive is like under 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 payment um and you know they go back and forth back and forth um so i i think really our our light roast is more about um not choosing sides and who's a deadbeat dad or who chooses to be with a deadbeat dad, but it really has a lot to do with uh, keeping the matters of like the family, like public or private. I think that there's a, there's a difference between the harm being caused and like the family business kind of needing to be intervened by other parties. But I think when it comes down to things like that, 
um, those aren't things that need to be on the timeline. Like when you're fighting with your significant other or somebody that you used to be involved with, that is between you and them. I, I think it's embarrassing not only to that child, but just to the families in general that like y'all can't handle y'all business like adults, like that y'all can't have this conversation on FaceTime. Y'all can cuss at each other on FaceTime as much as y'all want. I don't know if y'all remember our segment on like uh, Kirk Franklin um, and him going back and forth with his son. Right. And they they didn't have uh, good things to say to each other. But I think that like it was him putting that out to the public that really brought us into the conversation. We don't have enough information to comment on what's going on. Um, but again, we will speculate. We will have throw our two cents in because people love to do that. People love the, the drama and people love the gossip. And I think that like if you're going to build a healthy and happy home, then like your stuff can't be out on the streets like that. Cause you know, people going to take it around with it. Touche. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, the kids, the, you know, all, all of this is archived, right? Yeah. Um, Cause even if Instagram dies tomorrow, there's going to be someone who has, you know, video footage of, of them going back and forth on each other. You know, um, you know, we were just talking about boxing um, and we were talking about, you know, Nate Robinson, right? So like he's, that man's going to be a meme uh, for the rest of his life and his kids are going to have to be, be exposed to that. And like that, that can have real uh, consequences. And, and so I, I think a lot about like, like you said, the, the healthy dynamic, especially for, for these kids, you know, many of whom are, or our babies, you know what I'm saying? They, they got, they got a little, they got a little baby that they got, they got to think about. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that it's, it's up to, especially, you know, parents in that situation and guardians to think about the long-term Im- impacts and, and finding ways to sort of keep that stuff under wraps and find and, and finding healthier ways to have those discussions in private like i don't want to know about your your business y'all are entertainers if you're talking about making the world a better place that's fine but i don't want to know the inner workings of of your of your household i don't think that's my business and it's one thing when stuff gets leaked Mm -hmm. paparazzi's following you but it's another thing when you invite us into the drama of your home because it distracts from the great work that both of these people do you know that's big facts that's big facts i i really I like that because I think that there are times where um, the things that you like are going on and dealing with in your private life are yeah just recorded by other people. The paparazzi when you're a celebrity, things like that happens. But yes, there's a difference between like voluntarily like airing your dirty laundry <laughs> like in front of the the whole world, like the internet, the interwebs, like that, that's worldwide, dog. Like, and I, I think just like you said, it does take away from the artistry. I think that like. People, it's funny though, because they say like Summer Walker's "Messy Life" is the best music, and I think that they they might not be wrong. I think her last album really had the game in a chokehold. I think artists do produce their best music when um, they are they have their backs against the wall. Um, but I, I do I do think that like um, it is unfortunate um, just for for them to kind of be doing this. So I think our light roast is really for. Um, again, them putting their stuff in public and we just want y'all to be very cautious and aware of when y'all are doing that and like how you can best avoid it because it's just not a good look. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I to echo that sentiment, like now I remember Faith Evans, Faith Evans did that song. As soon as I get home, it was, it's one of her biggest hits, um, to my, to my knowledge. Um, and, I and later on in this behind the music documentary, she she talked about how she made that song because she felt like that's how Biggie um, should have felt like he should have felt like, oh, my gosh, 
you know, I've been making all these mistakes. As soon as I get home, I'm going to make it up to you. Right. And she was going through a tumultuous situation. Um, and, and sure. Some people might, might, uh, have known about it, but I don't think she was trying to invite us in and, and go back and forth and write articles and do interviews about Biggie dog and Biggie out and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I feel like you can be going through your personal traumas and situations and make that great music without like, without broadcasting exactly what you're going through and exactly what, what um, inspired each and every like lyric, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think that summer Walker to your point, like she's had the, the game in a chokehold and it's like, we, I didn't know anything about her personal business before she started dating London on the track, but she, but I'm assuming that she had made this, a lot of this great music before London on the track. Um, and so it's like your, your story can still be shared without the inner workings, mm-hmm. the inner workings of it. Right. Um, and the, and the details. Cause now, cause now it's like when you're talking about surgeries and stuff like that, just to be hurtful towards one another, cause y'all still got to deal with each other. Mm-hmm. And like, that's toxic. Even if y'all are dealing with each other like that privately, cause your kid, cause your kids are going to be with you privately. But like, um, publicly it's just like we do want to be inspired by your stories but we don't have to know the inner workings of your stories because once again that's not that's not our business and i think like you said you know we're going to put in our two two cents but be respectful but there are plenty of people who are going to be on the internet who are fueled by the chaos and the negativity and they're and you're giving them a lot of ammunition to shoot shoot you up and your career up because if if i'm if i'm an artist do i want to work with a producer who's who's more known for calling out the mother of his child and saying stuff about her surgeries or, or his actual skill set, right? Like mm-hmm. no one needs that unnecessary um, drama. So um, I just feel like there, there are different ways uh, to, to approach it. And, and I hope, I hope they, you know, continue to find those ways and navigate those ways. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, and so one of some, something else that, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the craziness of things going on in, in private, but um, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of chaos that's happening out in the open um, as, as well. Um, and, you know, this, this is, this has just been a heavy week um, in general, but here at Brewing Black, you know, we don't run, we don't run from nothing. We, we're not ducking the smoke um, and we got to talk about these issues. And so um, another thing that's, that, that happened this week is that the Supreme Court made it made the decision to block a federal uh, moratorium that actually halted evictions across the country during the pandemic. Um, and this uh, gave the landlords the, the right to resume the eviction process, um, despite, you know, obviously tenants being impacted by the, by the pandemic. We know people uh, might have lost their jobs, might have trouble um, getting getting jobs. They might be sick, so they can't work, mm-hmm. um, all, all sorts of things. And so, um I remember uh, this week on my social media, I was I was asking friends of friends what they thought about it um, and and getting different opinions. And like it actually was sort of split. Um, and, and there's a more complex story here. And so today we have a guest um, to help us break that down. T, you want to introduce the guest? Yes. Shout out to my guy, Arlander Wesley. Y'all might remember him from the episode when he broke down kind of what was going on with Robin Hood and the game. uh, What was it? 
what's what's the name GameStop. GameStop yeah GameStop stock went up um so he kind of broke down the whole situation um so he he has a very uh informed perspective on a lot of things than when especially when it comes to business um so Arlander I just want to uh give you a floor real quick introduce yourself and then we'll jump into the topic all right so my name's Arlander as you guys know uh I was on I can't remember the exact episode um but I do thank you guys for having me again um it's always a good feeling to be on this show. Um, so with that, let's get to it. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, so first, we just want to kind of kick off and talk about uh, what the eviction moratorium is. Um, and then we want to just kind of pitch our, our different uh, like perspectives on it. Uh, so first, mm-hmm. I just want to talk about uh, the eviction moratoriums, what they are. So they were a pause in um, evictions uh, since the pandemic has started. Um, it was actually started, I believe by the CDC, um, thinking about, uh, eviction as a, like a public health concern. So when we think about it, like in the middle of a pandemic, um, that is, you know, as contagious as it was, and it's hard to like kind of predict how it's going to go and how it's going to spread, um, evictions during that time, uh, we, we think about that as a public health concern because if a family is evicted, uh, it'll lead to this family having to go to friend's house and family's house and essentially couch surf, which would help, uh, which would increase the exposure uh, to a lot of people of this um, virus. Um, so that that's why the CDC was involved, because that was originally my first question, um, why this would start. Um, but we also understand that a lot of people lost their jobs during uh, the pandemic. Um so uh, there are a lot of people that we think of that lost their jobs, um, though across all fields and all, um, um, I guess, seller, salary types, all tax brackets, uh, people lost their jobs. But I think the most um, affected people were uh, low income individuals. Um, so today uh, we kind of want to, I guess, pose a debate in a way um, and kind of pose you both sides of the, uh, the coin and kind of like how we can work to uh, find some solutions. Uh, so uh, with the eviction moratorium coming up, um, there's an estimated 1.2 households that are very likely to face eviction for non-payment over. And we'll see this over the next two months. Uh, it'll increase a few more million once um, California, New York and Illinois, uh, places that have very big cities um, when their state, because this is a federal thing, a federal, uh, the federal the Supreme Court stopped the federal uh, eviction moratoriums, but what we understand about federalism is some states have uh, different laws that can pr- provide protection for uh, people. So I want to give the floor to Arlanda real quick to kind of talk about it. this from a, uh, a a homeowner perspective, as someone that would like to own homes in the future that that is planning on doing this as an investor, why this may be. Uh, let's say a negative thing for homeowners, because when we think about the eviction moratorium, like, of course, we don't want people kicked out on the street. Um, so I want to pose y'all. I, I want Arlander to pose y'all uh, why why he thinks that this could still be a good thing. A good thing or or, or a bad thing? Uh, well, I guess a good thing for homeowners, like why the eviction moratorium ending could be uh, something beneficial oh, for homeowners. OK, I see. So the reason why I think that it could be good for homeowners is because uh, a lot of the landlords in the United States um, are mainly actually mom and pop landlords. Um, And so the ones who are actually the most affected by this are those mom and pop landlords, like the corporations, they're, they're not really feeling the brunt of people not paying rent. 
but where the people who are feeling it are those people who are uh, own one, two, three, four properties. And let's say one person's not paying, that's like 25, 30% of their income that, mm-hmm. you know, they're missing. So those ones are the ones that are feeling it like the worst because just because your tenant's not paying rent doesn't mean that you got to stop that you get a pause on your mortgage. There is forbearance options out there. Um, but let's say that your tenant never catches back up all that rent. That means that the homeowner pretty much has to pocket all those costs or eat them all and, you know, go on about their day while the tenant kind of gets to walk free. And then another part I wanted to go about or go over about that is that, um, as like a mom and pop landlord, the last, the absolute last resort is a eviction. Most of them don't even want to do eviction. Um, usually it's like last, last resort because evictions are super expensive. They're time consuming and you got to go through the courts to do them. Mm -hmm. So most of the time homeowners don't even want them to do it. So this eviction moratorium ended in ending will actually have like a a super positive effect on like the smaller mom and pop landlords. It's not really going to affect the corporations because you know, most they're collecting most of their rent, but even if they don't collect the rent, they have the resources necessary to just evict a bunch of people and they don't even care. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, do you know, I, I mean, this is just a genuine question. Um, do mom and pop like homeowners make up the majority of the market or is it more mostly corporations? Oh, it's definitely mom and pop. Yeah, okay. I've, I've done a bunch of research on this and I think it's like 80% of like the <laughs> rental market is owned by mom and pop landlords or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a bunch of small mom and pop landlords who own, you know, one to 10 houses or I think they, I think they classify it as if you own 20 or less units that you're a mom and pop landlord, 20 or less units. It's either 10 or 20. I can't remember the number okay. off the top of my okay. head, but okay. Can will we really consider someone that owns 10 units of something mom and pop? Cause that, that, yeah. Okay. Definitely. Why I, I have a, I have an old coworker who owns I think like twelve units, I mean three multifamily houses are twelve units right there. Three multi. So was that like a, an apartment complex? Uh, not necessarily a complex. So you can you can buy like a basically a four unit apartment building. So if you think about apartments, mm-hmm. um, some of them have like four units per building. Some might have six or eight, depending upon how tall they go and how many stories they are. But the most normal, or I guess the average multifamily is usually going to be like a triplex or a, or a, or a fourplex. Mm. And so if you own two or three of those, then you're still considered like a mom and pop landlord. Okay. So how much might that person that we, or that you personally know be worth? Um, I, you might not know exactly, but like, let's give a guesstimation. Maybe worth like a few hundred thousand, like three, four hundred thousand net worth. Okay. Okay. Um, and how much do you think he's bringing in off of those properties? Mm, I'd say rent on those properties would probably be like, let's say a thousand a unit. So like 12K a month. 12K. And then their mortgage is probably like 7,000 a month on all three of them put together. Mm. So they're bringing up over just a little bit of profit. Um, over the mortgage? Oh, definitely. But uh, there's also other expenses besides just your mortgage and stuff that you got to cover. So a lot of them have to cover, like if your AC goes out or I don't know, mm. whoever's like renting out there, anytime something goes wrong with your apartment, you always call the landlord and then they have to fix it. 
So there's there's a bunch of little like miscellaneous expenses that happen all the time that they got to cover. And so if one person's not paying their rent or if multiple people aren't paying their rent, you got to cover your mortgage payment. And then you also have to cover all of the expenses that are going on around the property, the maintenance, um, ACs, if they go out, stuff like that. Okay. And it gets worse the lower the number of units you own. So if it's like a house and somebody's not paying your rent for that house, your whole income stream is gone, but you're still paying that mortgage and HOAs and all types of other fees. Okay. And that puts those individual homeowners at a disadvantage. Right. Okay. Well, and I, th- I think that that's so important to kind of think about because my initial, um, cause we have these conversations, right. And you, you have a, you provide me with a perspective that I uh, don't initially like think of. Right. Cause for me, it's like the first thing I think of is like housing is a human right. And I know a lot of people and I guess how we really live life is not really positioned that way. Um, we don't see housing as a human right. We we kind of prioritize profits over people. So when I see something like this, this is the first impression I'm having. I think of right. the low income people that are that will be affected by this, that are often affected by evictions more than anything. Like as someone that has been in a situation that has been evicted before, like as a family, I can understand how traumatic that can be like. As a kid, you don't really understand that. You're like, no, nah, this is my home. This is my house. Like, this, these are my right. friends live. This is where I go to school. All of those things change when you get evicted. You're literally uprooted, like, and you have to pack whatever you can and just kind of get out. You lose. Like, I lost my fat heads that I had on the wall, stuff like that, right? Like, stuff that, like, I feel like fundamentally made my home, like, my house my home, right? So I, I think that those are things that you can't put a value on that, Yes, some people are losing money, but it's like a peace of mind that you almost don't have. It's like now that you're a homeowner and that you have a home, you're establishing something for your child. Now, imagine if like when if something were to happen, y'all would have to up and leave and just move somewhere else and just kind of like kind of hop couch to couch off of, I guess, I think of situations or um, things that you can't really control, like some people right. got furloughed from their job. Some people got laid off. Some people got straight up fired, right? Um, some people are woefully underpaid. We think about the minimum wage nationwide and um, how that we know that a minimum wage, people can't live on that anymore, right? So I, right. I, I do think that there were um, options. There was unemployment and different things like that. But maybe you stayed in your job and you just get paid an abysmal amount and you didn't I mean, it's kind of scary to quit your job and kind of take unemployment. Right. So it's like I think some people were still in a bad position um, or I mean, I even think about like hourly workers. I think that this one really affects hourly workers a lot or people that work. Um, I think of barbers and different things like this. Somebody was talking about how they were a barber and they couldn't work for three weeks because they had covid. And he was like, hey, I mean, like I wanted to come in, but I kept testing positive. I didn't really have that many side effects, but I didn't want to infect anybody and that's actually a good person because i know people that might even feel bad and like haven't gotten tested yet it's like i'm going to work man. i need to make this money i got seven appointments right like that's four hundred dollars <laughs> um so i do think like i really think of the cdc in that sense because it's like it is a public health concern so if you know that there is a pause on evictions um we can really take the proper and necessary steps rather than kind of buying into like what you have to do for capitalism. Like we have to pay for living. So we have to got to go to work. And it's like, at the end of the day, I think that it is uh, not the most beneficial and it is actually the more harmful to have like this eviction um, 
eviction status, like I guess allowed to go right now rather than having a moratorium. Um, and then I guess my last point is that I think that like homeowners in a way are investors. Do you, would you, would you agree with that? That homeowners are investors? Definitely. Okay. Yeah, they're definitely. Okay. So with investments, there's risk, right? There is, but like, you can't have like, like, I feel like the, the eviction moratorium is kind of like a man-made risk. Like that's not a everyday circumstance that, stance that or sense that a, a investor should have to deal with like mm-hmm. it's not their fault that you know the government said oh well we're gonna take we're gonna allow your tenant to not pay you but you still have to pay the bank okay. it's not like you know something something crazy happened where you know their tenant just said oh i'm not paying no more and then they can get rid of them in a few months or whatever like this thing's been going on for like a year and a half now yeah I think initially it was, it it was a very good idea for the first, like, let's say like six to 10 months or so. Mm -hmm. Um, But the moment that they started passing like all the rent reliefs and the extra uh, added unemployment benefits and all the different stimulus checks and everything, like I I got, I started thinking that, you know, they need to get rid of the eviction moratorium because now it's having like extreme negative impacts on uh, especially places like, like the rental market, um, mm-hmm. housing market. So not, not many people are looking at the eviction moratorium as the reason why rents are skyrocketing, but that's, uh-huh. that's one of the biggest reasons as to why rents are skyrocketing. Wow. Okay. Um, Can you explain that? I, I didn't know that. So normally everybody, uh, normally throughout the year, people like move, they come and go through apartments, houses, whatever it is, like their one year leases, two year leases. But when you start locking people up in the same place, there's not all this movement going around. Mm. But let's say that there's teenagers who are turning 18. There's uh, kids moving out of their parents' house. There's these young adults that need to start renting places. Now, because there's a limited supply of apartments on the market, because there's, there's, a, there's some apartments where you know people are being locked into by not paying their rent and they don't have to leave, now there's this, there's this uh, like, this chokehold on the supply of apartments. Mm. And we all know that anytime there's like a low supply of something and there's, a, there's a huge demand for it, prices start skyrocketing. So now the landlords who do have open units, they it's can go out and charge. Yes. Oh, it's insane. I've seen um, a two bedroom or a three bedroom apartment around the corner from where I stay two years ago, it was going for like 1350. Now the same place is going for like nineteen hundred. Dang, okay. and it's only been two years, and it's like, damn, that big of an increase. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's there's so little apartments or houses on the market to rent, and then there's so many people who want to rent these places. Mm. And so now it gives the power back to the people who do have empty units. Okay. And so that's one of the like biggest negative uh, effects that it's having is that the people who are looking for places now they're getting screwed because of the people who are staying in these places for free. Okay. That's interesting. I, I would have never considered that as a thing. Uh, Scholar P, you want to jump in here? Yeah. So I, I, I see the points that both of y'all are making and I feel like there's, there's definitely a, a what it seems like a, 
a great area. And Orlando, I want you to sort of um, um, talk about talk about this because I feel like there's there are ways that just like, you know, people are getting, you know, $2,000 or $1,200 stimulus checks. Is there not a way that the governments can work with these um, mom and pop um, owners um, and have some type of relief relief for them because they're, they're having to um, experience like the, the brunt of people not being able to pay um, their their rent and they have to deal with this moratorium. It seems like, you know, it would be some type of, you know, thing for small businesses or there'd be some type of uh, caveat um, to help to help these people while also simultaneously helping the the renters. Like, does something like that exist and how easy how easy or how simple or how complex would it be to put something like that in place? So uh, they they did um, pass like rent relief. Um, I think Trump passed some of it back in. I think his last one was what in like November, December. Yeah. yeah. And then Joe Biden passed even more of it in it. March. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that so they passed that, and what the federal government did is like they were like, ah, we don't want to have to deal with it. So they took all the rent relief money. I think it was like fifty billion or something, and then they they spread it amount. They spread it uh, amongst the states and said, you guys have to deal with this, get this handled, get this rent relief to, you know, all the landlords and all the tenants who need it. And so what the states did was they said, okay, some of them didn't want to deal with it. They passed it down to like their local municipalities Mm -hmm. and cities and stuff like that and their local governments. And then some of them have like put these crazy rules in place. So it's not that they haven't passed anything. It's just that the way that they're going about getting the relief to people is they've made it so much more complicated than it should be. They've been putting like, like I've heard of some States saying like, Oh, well you, you have to provide proof of, you know, your lost job. You got to show that you lost at least 80% or something like that of your income. Uh, Like they're putting all these crazy like rules and regulations on this stuff. So it's really hard to get. I think the last time um, I was watching a YouTube video and some guy was talking about it. Um, He was saying, I think as of like a week or two ago, only like two or three billion dollars out of the out of the fifty billion, let's say, has been used uh, for the rental relief. And so, recently, when um, when they extended this moratorium, they did it with the purpose to try to hurry up the states to to get this rental relief out, mm. which was a, I think it was a good idea. It's just the fact that you know this thing has been going on for eighteen months. They should have thought about this like way in the front, um, kind of like the PPP loans and stuff. Yeah. Um, right. with the PPP loans, they, uh, they weren't actually letting like landlords collect that money. So they, they weren't considering them for, it was like one of the things where like, you can't, you, your business doesn't count if it's a, if it's like a, um, a rental property because PPP loans were specifically for paychecks and it's typically not a paycheck for, you know, rental income. Yeah. So they were, the landlords were left out of that. So they didn't get none of that. And then, now this rental assistance, um, the states and the governments and everything's just been, they just been putting all these crazy regulations and rules on it. So a lot of the landlords are like, I don't even want it no more. I just want the person out of my place at this point. Yeah. Mm. And let wow. me, let me hop in there too. So, um, and I just want to echo everything Arlander said, just add, a, just add some numbers to it. So, uh, I, as of like two days ago, the New York times had, reported that only 5.1 billion out of 46.5 billion has been used so far. 
Um, so even though this kind of is posed as like the renters versus the landlords, it's more like both of them versus like the federal government. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, because 89% of rental assistance has not been uh, distributed. And just like Arlander's show, like it's purely because of bureaucracy. It's bureaucracy and some barriers determined by those bureaucratic like uh, departments, right? So, like, because mm-hmm. no one wants to deal with it, they keep passing it to the next person rather than uh, the federal government or the state working with individual landlords and their renters to just kind of get this process moving. Because I both I know both of them would be willing to engage in the process. Um, oh yeah, that's- and there's more than enough money available, and we just like Arlander kind of showed it's like that money was available for uh, unemployment. It was widely available for PPP loans for small business owners and especially corporations. So it's like you would think because this is such a again public health crisis as well as like a human rights issue that you would be trying to keep people into their homes. So I think this is really more than anything a message to the federal government, the state government, the local government um, that the, the there needs to be a better system. There there needs to be care put into the system for people to really sit down and work with uh, these these homeowners and these renters and these people that want to stay in their homes. Um, to kind of give them some care and to make sure that this works out. Like, cause there's no reason that this go, the money should be available, but no one could obtain it. Like I was reading about, um, there was one barrier where people had to have, uh, the renter and the, uh, the landlord had to have active, like state IDs. And it's like, dog, y'all know the DMV had been closed for the longest. Mm-hmm. And now like, like I had to get, uh, my vehicle registration and my, like my, my registration was a little late because I had to wait so long to get in line to get like one because they only allow so many people to go. So it's like, it's hard to get an appointment. So it's like when there are other bureaucratic barriers outside of just like this, this, uh, uh, this application, like I need to go through four other channels to even ensure that I can get this money here. Like that's really what's been the problem. So something has to be streamlined. There needs to be like a, a federal body working with each state to kind of get this money out because it's available. But just like Arlander said, it's like business owners will do what business owners does. And it's like when people need their money, it's like, look, instead of waiting three months for this money to maybe come, like I'm just going to kick you out and get the, get a person in here in the next 30 days, um, clean it up and, and cut my L's, right? So I, I think that like it, it's harming people in multiple ways. And I think, again, because low income people are affected at the highest rates that the burden will fall mostly on them. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I think to answer your question, Scholar P, there is something that can be done, but it really comes down to the federal government and the state governments uh, to kind of take the foot of the bill and really like handle um, handle and do what they're supposed to do. Uh, absolutely. It should have done like a portal or something, kind of like what what they've been doing with like the PPP loans. Although they, they pushed the PPP loans on the banks and forced them to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they could have made some type of portal or something where, you know, it's like a simple application process and then, you know, hired, I don't know, 10, 15 people to, to handle that portal for, I don't know how many ever months or whatever the case is. could have been that simple, you know, yeah. and then have those people like verifying that, you know, this is the right tenant, the right landlord. Um, I think what they were scared of is like, the fact that they don't want to have to do it. Um, and then uh, that they didn't want to have to like deal with, you know, the people trying to commit the fraud and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but we know people scammed on the PPP loans and it's like, there was, 
I mean, they didn't stop that, right? So it's like when this is, I feel like this is a more important issue. I feel like fraud, like fraud would be so little when compared to like how much it would help, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, uh, Scholar P, did you have any other questions? No, no, I feel like it goes it goes back to to what you said, said T, in terms of it being a converse, a conversation of uh, not renters uh, versus the landlords, but the, the 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 federal government, the state governments. And it's, and it's so funny because it's it just feels like that worker, that that supervisor who doesn't want to deal deal with the problems. And so they create um, dy- uh, a dynamic of tension between the employees. Mm-hmm. So that it's, the employees are upset with each other instead of dealing with the supervisor who has who, who has that ultimate control. power control, mm-hmm. um, and that's and that's sort of what it feels like. It's like it's like renters feel some way, landlords feels some way, but everyone is a victim of the mis the mishandling of funds and systems operated by the federal federal and, and state governments. And so I think that if we realize that, then land then landlords and renters can actually band together and actually be on the same side because people at the end of the day they just they they just want a place to stay and they and they want their 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 bills to be paid um at the end of the day and so i think that they they both want the the same thing so so yeah i think that as long as we remember that and remember who the that that we're not necessarily fighting with the uh against each other but we can fight um you know in conjunction with and in collaboration with each other Mm -hmm. um then, then we'll be on a better path absolutely absolutely so I just want to thank Arlander for dropping by and dropping some knowledge on us. Uh, my man is creating his own content soon and you will hey. be able to find it in a bunch of different places, specifically on YouTube. So I just want to throw it to him real quick uh, so he can lob uh, where you can find him at least or um, when he'll start putting out content. But, you know, this man is the one to come to for black business knowledge. And we want to, you know, highlight our experts. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so probably in the next month or so, um, we'll be making a YouTube channel. We've been kind of slacking on it. Uh, I've been writing all the scripts and everything. Now I just got to put everything together. Okay. So what topics are you going to talk about? Uh, pretty much just personal finance, uh, mindset, uh, and just, uh, I mean, you know, uplifting your lifestyle. Okay, cool. So y'all stay tuned when we get a name for the channel um, and when he makes some ads, some a little 15 minute or I mean 15 second like clips. We'll definitely plug it on the show for y'all to find. Um, but we just want to thank you for stopping by Arlander. We appreciate you always dropping knowledge and we will see you soon. All right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you too. All right, bro. Have a good one. All right. Uh- Always, always giving us like the heat, man. Like our guests are phenomenal. Absolutely. Um, My God. And it was so like informative. And that's why I love talking to him because even though he may have a different perspective, it is always rooted in empathy. And like, it's not, I don't know, for me, it's not a traditional like black capitalist, like, oh, money over people and oh they shouldn't have been lazy and they should have been but he's just, he really are genuinely like understands the problem but understands it from at least another perspective that at least forces us to sit down and think about it because initially we wanted to try to know that like we thought about doing this as the light roast and it's like yeah nigga, fuck them they, they got us messed up like why are they gonna kick people out on the street like that's that's wrong but then it's like that forced us to kind of sit back after his comments to us it forces us to sit back and was like okay hold on 
phone. Like there might actually be something up. So we wanted to bring him on and in doing research for the show. It's like, oh, we realize this is not a landlord versus a leasee problem. No, like this is really like the people versus the government. Um, and I think that like, yeah, just so I, I, I think that Bruin Black is a place where we can show that genuine dialogue and discourse can provide fruitful uh, thoughts and uh, pro- progress for the future. Like you see how we thought of like some solutions like, yeah, bro was like, yeah, we need a portal. Like we should have did this, this and this because then we would have all been in a better situation. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. So I just want to show you all that like, I don't know, progress comes through dialogue and conversation for sure. For sure. For sure. And um, yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. And I think (laughs) for this next one, um, you know, progress comes comes through dialogue in in a lot of in a lot of ways. Right. And I think that, um, you know, we're we're talking about, um, you know, loans and and relief. um, And and now we sort of want to talk about culture. Um, and t- this week, um, I think it was, I, I can't remember wh- which day it was, but, um, it-, it was within these last few days, it might've been last Friday that Donda dropped. Yeah. I think um, it was something weird, like Monday dog. Like, it's yeah, just, yeah. Like it, it was really, guy. really strange. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, alleged, the story is allegedly that Universal dropped Donda without Kanye's permission. Um, there were some artists that were very happy to be featured, uh, but there were a lot of artists who had verses uh, taken off and they are blaming Kanye. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether that whether that's the case or not, that's that's not that's not, you know, our business. Who cares? But I, I think that the bigger conversation that's been happening has been around um, whether or not people should even be listening to mm-hmm. To, to Kanye. Um, so I, I was asking, I was, you know, doing polls on social media and it was really split. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of yeses, a lot of no's. And, and so we, we sort of want to talk about what that looks like. So I know for me, um, what I, what I wanted from Ye was an apology or an acknowledgement that like, Hey man, I was tweaking. Hey man, when I said, you know, black people were, you know, that slavery was a choice. I was tweaking when I um, created a covert campaign to, to support Trump. I was, I was tweaking. Like I wanted that. Um, I wanted an acknowledgement. And even if he was like, Hey, look, I've been going through a lot. I was dealing with X, Y, and Z and like, you know, part of that outfall, uh, part part of those those issues that I was dealing with caused me to do things that, that like made me hurt the people who loved me the most and supported me the most. And I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I love y'all. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I love y'all like y'all have always loved me and vice versa. Like this yeah. is like that. Who, what what I was doing before mm-hmm. that it's not representative of who I am. And I think I wanted that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, you know, I don't think that I ever got a sense that that's where yeah, he was heading um, in his thoughts. Um, and it's and it just seemed like he dropped the album and he expected us to like forgive and forget. Um, and, and I just couldn't do it. My feelings were just hurt. Um, and, and I and I couldn't I couldn't do it. Um, and I think that people are uh, supporting him because he's a billionaire and, you know, he's the Yeezys are still doing good and people will say excited. But I'm just like, I can't forget those words that you said. I can't I can't mm-hmm. forget the how you went out of your way to do do things and support people who are knowingly destructive to to your to your people mm-hmm. um and and especially when people like a Chrisette michelle you know she she sang a song you know mm-hmm. she sang a song uh, albeit 
this man created a whole camp, whole covert campaign j- just to um, get votes away from Biden and help Trump win win an election. He told you that our people chose to be enslaved. Like I, mm-hmm. we got it. I, I can't forget that. And it's not to say that he's not still talented. I'm sure the music is good, but I can't bring myself uh, to listen to or, or support that at this space until he acknowledges what he did. Until he says, I'm sorry for what I did. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So that's that's how I feel about it. But T, how, how do you feel about it? And, and walk us through, because um, I because I know that, that you listen to the album, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I want to I want to sort of hear the other side and hear the other perspective, because I think both both sides and perspectives are important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so it's so good, this episode, because I think often we maybe echo chamber. It's like you say something like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say something you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, this is cool. I was like, you really have a different perspective for me. And I'm like, damn, I kind of feel bad for listening to this shit. But also, I'm like, I was always going to listen to it at the same time. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think for me, it's interesting because like Kanye has always been one of my favorite artists. And it's like I am a I'm I'm one of the same people that are able to acknowledge the like the decline. It's like watching Kobe Bryant your whole life and then understanding that like Kobe's getting a little old and like he tore his ACL a few times and like he uh what did he do tore his like Achilles and then he broke his finger and he's just he's not as explosive as he used to be, right? I kind of feel that about Kanye except for like that uh that Achilles tear was maybe just his mental health snapping um and like his uh thumb being torn is really like him just kind of going off the deep end I understand that there were there's definitely like he's done some harm I guess that's what I want to acknowledge Kanye has definitely done some harm and I don't like actively support him as a lot of people other people do is like oh Kanye is a genius and nothing that Kanye does can be uh discredited like no I know Kanye is off his rocker dog like Kanye is not in a, a healthy place right now based on his marriage based on his family life based on just the antics that he was living in the Mercedes Superdome for like three weeks he kept playing an album that wasn't done he kept having uh these these listening parties in 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 stadiums like he did he did it three times i had to listen like (laughs) at least that's how i felt it's like bro how many times can like how long does it take to perfect something and i just understand that like kanye music makes me feel something even the songs that like i don't really rock with i think he does such a good job almost building like a world and building a a a an atmosphere of just feelings it's like uh ultra light being dog like that shit hits me in my chest (laughs) and it's like i I think kanye's ability to capture soul is something so unique and talented that like i had to at least put my ears on it just one time and if he had done something like r kelly then I would be able to give him up because I understand that that harm is like irrehensible and there's really nothing that he could do to be forgiven in a sense like that. But like Kanye cooning, I know people that coon every day, like, but everyday people are not as talented as Kanye. So it's like, I'm not going, I'm not going to exonerate Kanye by any means, but like jail, if you heard jail, that shit hard. <laughs> he got Jay-Z rapping on it. He got Jay-Z rapping and jay-z had this line i wish i could pull it up but he pretty much said that like he told kanye stop all that red cap and we going home like he pretty his verse was pretty much like look 
I, I don't know where Kanye was, but I gathered him and we we going back. We getting out of the sunken place. And I thought that was cool. I don't know if it's true, but I thought that was cool. Um, so, yeah, there were some songs that I really liked, like Jail. Um, I listened to, uh, what was the other song? Uh, Hurricane. Hurricane has The Weeknd and Little Baby. That was spiritual. Spiritual. So he, I think Kanye's ability to kind of do what he does in music is it's phenomenal, and I, I just I had to experience it one time for the one time. Um, I downloaded like two, two or three of the songs, but I'm not the one that's going to sit on a, a the hill and say like, "Oh, Kanye's a genius, and nothing he does is wrong." I think y'all just might be stupid. I'm sorry. Now that that might be me, but it's like I, I think that <laughs> I just think I that like people have put Kanye on this pedestal, and it's just like, no, he sells y'all. Shoes with holes in them, and y'all just gonna buy it for five hundred dollars because he just does off the wall stuff, and y'all think that it's like the mark of a genius. It's like no, it's just somebody that just really believes in himself and just gonna do whatever he does because you know he gonna rock. He knows that you gonna rock with him no matter what, and I think that that's all it is. And I think that it's yeah. interesting. And, and and you know what? It's it is funny that you say like you bring up someone like R. Kelly, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that you know, imagine. Now imagine R. Kelly, you know, let's say, let's put him like right after Aaliyah, right? Mm-hmm. He has a, he has this thing where, where he's, he's, you know, he's a monster to Aaliyah, but then it's, it's post Aaliyah and somehow these R. Kelly campaigns get through and he goes and he gets the help that he needs and yada, yada, yada. And then surviving R. Kelly doesn't come out and mm-hmm. then this down the third. And I think that with these artists, especially ones that are as successful as a yay, it's like, how do you, how do you, and you know, ultimately he's a billionaire, like he's a, he's a capitalist yeah. in, and of oh, him, in and of himself. And I feel like there's, there's a space to love them and support them, but also keep them accountable. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that if you think his music sounds good now, imagine getting him back to a place where he's radical about blackness and black people. Yeah. Like that's, that's like what, he did with, what he Kanye. did with, yeah, like, dropout what Kanye. other black man you know is getting on stage, stage and telling a white woman, no, the world got it wrong, boo-boo. This black woman had the best video mm-hmm. of the year. Who, what other, what other black man you know is going to go on live television to be like, yo, the president doesn't give a, give a damn about black people. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's just something special about how Kanye was moving. And yeah. I think that if, if people would just take a second to say, Yo, be, and it's, it's almost a selfish act, too, because I can say, Kanye, I know if I hold you accountable and I don't buy your Yeezys and I don't listen to your music, what's going to register in your mind is that, like, yes, I'm a genius. Yes, I'm a talented. But that doesn't that doesn't get me anywhere if I'm not ethically and morally sound, yeah. sound with my people, if I don't yeah. love the people who first love me. Right. Mm. And, and for me, that that's meaning black people. And and I and I'm thinking about the type of music he would make make if if he felt that if he felt like nah i really gotta i really gotta feed black people and i gotta feed i gotta feed them the right things i gotta feed them justice i gotta feed them turn up i gotta Mm. feed them liberation because that's who he is that's that's what he's known for yeah right and that's and that's and i think that's the genius that like we that we we might be missing out on because mm-hmm. we're not pushing him to 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 be held accountable. And so for me, it's just like a it's like a balance of like I said before with with Orlander. There there is a gray area. We can love this man and we can say, hey man, 
until you acknowledge what you did, like we 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 got to pause on you for mm-hmm. a second because I I I personally believe this is just me that when because it goes back to what you were saying about Summer Walker. Sometimes when you're going through a lot, that's when your music skyrockets. And I think with Yay, it's like if we put the pressure on him to say like you have, we are going to gather you, and we're not going to support you until we feel as a community you are gathered. I feel like the music would be even crazier. I feel like the music would like, like all falls down. Yeah, bro. I was just thinking about that. Like, like after police, that's how I treat them. We came by our way out of jail. We came by freedom. But, but, but we're not pushing Kanye to be at that level and he's going to make great music regardless. Like I'm sure Donda is a phenomenal album, but I would, I would just, I would just have people to consider like what you might be missing when you don't push him to to be be great it's sort of like in a relationship like a, a man could be a a good dude like i could mm-hmm. be an okay dude but like if i have a partner partner by my side who's pushing me to be better because their standards are so high mm-hmm. and they don't tolerate any type of disrespect because they hold me down then the levels that i can reach are are even better yeah. you know what i'm saying and so i i think that that's what i think about yay like like he genuinely hurt my feelings because i know how great he 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 was and i know that that greatness is still so i have faith that there's that greatness is still somewhere in him but i'm like i i hope my sincere hope is that he realizes what he's done and he and he apologizes he forgives himself and he actually acts for the forgiveness of of us as black people who have supported him and and i think that once he does that i think that the music is going to go to places that that we can't even imagine and so i I hope that's what happens with Ye, but who knows, man. Um, but until I feel like or someone can send me a sample or or something where he acknowledges, y'all, I really I really did us dirty. Then like it, it's, it's just hard. I, I just can't because my feelings are too hurt. Cancer, cancer gang. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I feel that. Like, I feel that. Like, and actually, one of my questions were, um, what does someone need to do to be forgiven in that sense? But I think you've kind of spelled it out like a genuine apology. You said, I'll take even a snippet where he acknowledges it. And I think that like, I guess my question is like, is that enough? Because I think really, I'm not gonna lie. There's a double standard. Like, I think that like the baby has recently said something very hurtful and I don't know if, like I, I, it's hard to kind of judge that in comparison to what Kanye said about like maybe slavery being a choice, but I think that it was the baby doubling down on it and also a double standard of it too. Because I think overall Kanye probably had did a worse deed because he actually supported a campaign against us. Like we we can if we're gonna just like kind of smush it down into a simplified version, he supported some he supported the enemy. Donald Trump was the enemy to to people, not even to like a specific group, to people in general, like to the to our survival, like his what he believed in and what he valued opposes like progress of humanity. I truly believe. Um, So I, I think that like I think. Kanye's deed is a little worse, but I think about how the baby, uh, according to uh, BBC, like the baby met with the. We you know how we were talking on the episode, like how the baby needs to meet with these organizations. He took up uh, that offer and he met with nine black lead or black leaders from nine different HIV positive uh, groups, and they said he genuinely engaged in discussions with them about the inaccurate comments that he made, um, and that he he really learned and it felt it felt real. Like, 
but I saw a lot of people like, oh, he's just doing that for publicity. But it's like he didn't. I don't, I don't think he's even made a comment on it. But the media, like the, some media people, covered it. So is that enough? Because I, I felt like to some people on social media it wasn't enough. But I think that that's what we asked of him. So I, I do think it might be a double standard because if Kanye did it, what we accepted, and I guess it really it really comes down to do we have to accept it? But also like what does a, what does someone need to do to atone? Uh, right. So yeah, I guess those are my general general questions, and I know you kind of answered in the sense that you would you would be able to accept a apology and that acknowledgement. But do you think that's enough for everybody? Yeah, no, def- definitely not enough for every everybody. I think, cause, and and I think I think to be fair that like we all do things in life that will make people permanent uh, enemies of us. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm that's saying? True. We're all everyone. You're going to be the villain in someone's story. Oh, that's um, and, and a lot of times we, we we deserve that. And so like there's there's a, a certain part of the population that is always going to hate the baby for for what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in terms of thinking about. Th- Cause, cause at the end of the day, it is a business and life is about knowing your audience, mm. you know what I'm saying? And loving your audience and the audience and the audience is what feeds you. The audience is what supports for you and provides for you and your family. So, so we got to look at how is your audience going to feel, right? Mm. I'm sure there, there are probably some, there are probably some non-black, non-black folks who might have HIV or might identify as LGBTQIA plus um, who are offended and would, will never listen to the baby's stuff again. But, but, you know, he, he's, he's saying this and, and we know that he has a huge uh, black dem- demographic. And even if he, he has sort of started to like cross over to the pop world, he started with us. Right. And Absolutely. so I think that, I think that that's why, why there, there's a, a lot of stuff around mm-hmm. him. I also think let's, let's be real. Like Kanye is a super mega ultra star. He's, <laughs> he's in that category yeah. with the Michael Jacksons <laughs> and the Jay-Z's like, Beyonce's, he's, he's, yeah. right, right. Like he's on those, he's on that guy, like, level like like i hate to say it like our, our, the r kelly's like he is a supreme master in his craft and people worship kanye and so i think that there's a lot more that kanye would have to do than than the baby i think our leniency to your point is is way different mm-hmm. um but i but to to also echo your sentiments i'd be i'd be really really down with kanye um like doing some type of campaign or like, uh, and, and I also think that people, um, I think that's where the mental health stuff comes into because we were so, we're so in tune with his story about mm-hmm. his mom passing away and like all the stuff he's always had to go through, like with the car accident. And, and like, I think we always sort of think about those things with Kanye and, and we put that, and we and we view what he does through those lenses, like yeah, damn, he misses his mom, mental health, the Kardashian curse, like all that stuff. And which is which is fine. Which is why I can say, hey, look, let's we you can start with an apology, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully that won't be the end all be all. Mm-hmm. Like I do hope you do stuff like the baby is doing, but like for me to listen and start to engage at you and even want to hear what you have to say, it's sort of like a before you say anything to me before you talk about anything, before you tell me what Jay has to say on your album, apologize first. Yeah, I feel that. Say, hey, hey, what I did was effed up. Can we start talk? Like, I acknowledge my wrong. I'm not, I'm not, like, what I did was wrong and I want to, I hurt you. Mm. I hurt you. Now, I might have been going through some stuff, but let me start off by saying I hurt you. Now, let's have it. Now, let's have a conversation. 
Like, I, like if, 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 if I did something to offend you and I knew it, I like, I'm not about to start talking to you about other business stuff. I'll be mm. like, oh, hey, bro, my bad. My bad. What I did was messed up because I want you to know that I know that. And honestly, if, if I don't start there, that's going to be in the back of your mind and you're going to have resentment. So I feel that's like that I would just have resentment as I, I was listening to the album. Like this man said, my ancestors chose to be enslaved. Mm. Like this, this man tried, tried to get Trump to be president. Mm. No, like knowingly, knowingly yeah. bro. Yeah. Like, that's fact. I, so right now that I, I would just have resentment in my ears. And, and I think that when we think about an apology, you have to, you have to start from somewhere. Um, and so I, I think that for anyone who's listening, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't care if people listen to Kanye, I, but I, I will, cause it was not impacting my life regardless. But what I will say is that if, if you're a true fan of Kanye, um, don't look at him as just some uh, this great music person, whatever, whatever. Look at him as a person, because I because we can all tell that something's off. And I think that if y'all, I, and like I said, it's a selfish act. If you want this man to like create good music for you, then you got to think about the type of person he is on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, it's, it'd be one thing if he never made Black Liberation music, but like he he taps into it so much and. I would love for him to, I think he could be moving our culture and shifting our culture in ways, especially with his money, his influence, his power. Like, think That's about facts. that. Y'all have this powerful individual that y'all aren't holding accountable. Mm-hmm. They could be doing stuff to shift the culture. Imagine if he was speaking out against Trump. Imagine if he was speaking out, speaking out when people were saying, like, we're, we're not going to do CRT. Imagine if he was speaking out when people, when, when uh, places are saying crazy stuff about mass mandates. Imagine mm. if he was speaking out when, when uh, states like Texas were doing, were doing things like abortion bans. Like mm-hmm. that's the potential of a yay, but he's not being pushed to be that even though he could. And with his money and his power and his influence, imagine how many people he could get to rally around that. The random white kid in, I- in Iowa who doesn't care about nothing might, might support something just because Ye said so. And, and I think that, I think that we're, we're not tapping into someone who's so powerful because all we're saying is make that great music. Mm. We, I'm a, I want to bump to this great music, but Kanye could be doing both. Like, I and, and I think that's probably my issue. Maybe I think Gay is is greater than a lot of people who who just look at him as as just someone who makes makes music and produces beats. Like yeah, I'm like, no, influence. your responsibility is greater than that because mm-hmm. your cultural stamp is greater than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do hope that Jay gathered him, and I I hope he gathers himself. But I still need an apology, bro. And or and or you start doing things that are radical again. Yeah. Like if you start doing that, bump it, bump it. I, I'm playing. I'll play Donda right now. That'll be the only thing I play for a month. I'll scream. I but that. but, I but let's just let's just think about those alternatives. That's that's all I got to say about it, bro. That's hey, that's it. Preach, bro. You said it. That's that's it. Yeah, the yeah 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 is better. It has the potential to be better than than we're giving him credit for as mm-hmm. a community, um, in my opinion. But it, but hey, I'm sure the music is great. I'm sure the music is great. Next time, next time, say, hey, we, we want another album and we want and these are some ways you can make up for some of the stuff you were doing. Mm-hmm. These are these are nine organizations you, you can you can chill with. But um, yeah. Yay. Do your thing. Do your thing. It is. It is what it is. So we know we know. Yay. Yay. Always has that light shining on him. But we want we want to talk about a different type of spotlight. Um, 
And and in our spotlight section, what we do is, you know, we start off with the light roast, you know, criticizing people. But for the spotlight, we actually give credit to someone doing something positive uh, in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to actually bring bring up. Let's see what, what's our what's our little spotlight like for today for today. It is Nia DaCosta. Um, or yeah, I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. Nita Costa becomes the first black female filmmaker to, to open, um, at number one in the domestic box office. Um, so we got to give praise and a shout out to her. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, the candy man, um, we'll, we'll probably, maybe we can talk about it a little bit more, um, another time, but it was a very, very deep movie. Um, it, it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, but um, it's it's a it's a fun time. It's a fun little ride, okay. and we're 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 always excited for um, you know black people to be doing that type of stuff in film and cinema because it convinces um, you know d- uh, different studios and, and companies to say we can bet on black. Yeah, oh, that's a bar. We can, yeah, like this, like people don't understand. Like, oh, it's, she's the first. What does it matter? Because people are watching, and 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 the next time someone's pitching, like we had Minuet in here, right? Mm-hmm. We had Minuet come on the show, a filmmaker and producer, and now she could, and and she and she has horror film. She loves the horror film genre. So when she's pitching, she can say, "Oh, this could be the next Candyman." Yeah, and a studio can look at her and be like, "You know what? A black woman did just do that. You're yeah. a black woman, oh. so maybe we'll have to. Maybe yeah. we have some faith in you. Maybe you, you Negroes know? can oh. do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, so yeah, maybe you Negroes do have a brain and do have talent and ambition. Um, you know, maybe, just maybe. So, uh, it's it's just a really big moment and. And we got to say shout out to her. And we're excited not only for her future projects, but for those of other black people. And in this case, in particular, like black black women who have these ideas on their on their mind and want to get them on the big screen. So yeah. shout out to her. Yeah, no, Scarlett P. I really appreciate that. I think that was such a great point um, that trailblazing like really it really has an impact. And I think it's right. like we know we we fundamentally inherently know that we can do this. Like, give us the sticks and we'll we'll do it better than y'all. Like, we did it with basketball. We did it with uh, what was that uh song that uh Whitney Houston got from what's her name Dolly Parton? Uh, oh man, no, I don't know. Well, always love you. Yeah, like that wasn't even her song. We took it, flipped it, reversed it. You know. Made it made it a little bit better. So it's like we know that we can do that. We have the ability to do that. Just give us a shot. And I think that like, yeah, it's so unfortunate that like black people still have to be breaking records in 2021 on things that we could have did in 1992, 1874, uh, 1652, whenever. Right. Like if given the opportunity. Um, So, yeah, it, it really sucks that like we had to wait our turn to do what we knew we could do. But it's like now the world know what we can do, so we gonna do it like we can do Absolutely. it. You feel me? So shout out to her for trailblazing. Trailblazing in twenty twenty one is still putting our people on. Absolutely, no, I agree a thousand percent. So yeah, yeah, we we did that thing, man. We did that thing. So so shout out to all the black creatives. Um, and you know it's it, it's up and stuck from here. Yeah. It's up and stuck. Yeah, yeah man. But yo, T, T, that was a good one. Man, it was a good show. It's a good show. I'm trying to figure out what to name. Me and Alex <laughs> been going back and forth trying to figure out what to name that new segment where we brought Arlander on. Because I feel like it's more than just bringing a, on a guest to like share their... Per- like, it, I thought of it as almost a debate in a way, but it's just different perspectives. So we called it maybe 
piping hot perspectives. I think that that was something okay. we thought about. Um, okay. I thought initially I thought about decaffeinated debates, but I was like, that one sounds, it sounds lit, but also sounds more like toned down, like it's decaffeinated. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, like it's like something out, yeah. <laughs> so if y'all like, if there's a, if there's something y'all heard that y'all like, please share. Um, there's not a lot of words that like are synonyms for debate. So it was hard to like kind of make a pivot from the D word, but dialogues uh, was something else I thought of. But yes, um, I, I'm just so glad we brought him on. I think it's I, just like, I don't know, I really like this episode because instead of just like sharing the same exact perspectives and building off of it, and that could feel redundant maybe to a listener. I think that like we both informed each other on different perspectives that we had. And when we brought on Arlander, it was like a discussion from different points of views and questions. And I think that that, again, builds uh, builds community. Um, so I'm I'm just so glad that Bruin Black has the ability to do that. And we're just continuing to grow and shine and do our thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Um, well, look, y'all, this this was this was a great show. Um, we know it was a little bit heavier, some of these topics, but, you know, we, we can't we can't hide from anything because the reality is that, you know, we we're talking about these issues, but there are people experiencing these things um, out, out in the world. You know what I'm saying? With everything Absolutely. that we talked about, you know, people are losing are losing their, their housing. They're losing mm-hmm. their loved ones. They're losing their, their reproductive rights. Um, you know what I'm saying? So it's you know, people are doing. With, with mental mental health issues like so, so sometimes we we got to give, give you all that and have these conversations because you know this this show isn't just about having a good laugh you know it's it's also about you know how do we enrich the community you yeah. know what i'm saying how do we keep it as rich as the coffee coffee beans that you Ooh. see see in our intro you know what i'm saying Ooh. so uh that that's that's what it is but yo t how, how you feeling about taking us out, man? We ready? Good. I'm feeling good. Yeah, I just want to let y'all know that we're we're probably we're working on bringing somebody on to talk about these re- reproductive rights. It's something that came out today. We want to be more informed to have a great discussion about it. But that's on deck. Stay tuned. If y'all know somebody, plug us. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a great episode next week. So tap in. Um, so yeah, let me take us out. So like we like to say, keep the coffee. Black. <laughs> and we like our podcast like we like our women. Black. Black. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank y'all for rocking with us, and we will see y'all next week. Peace. Peace.